Ricky, and you're probably thinking, why did we ever hire Kenny? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Nobody's thinking that. What'd you say? Somebody had to say it. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, man. Well, hey, uh, so I have a complicated relationship with the concept of love. Sounds like the opening line to a romantic comedy, doesn't it? <laughs> but like many of you, um, it's been a long journey to get my arms around um, God's love for me and what that really means. Um, many of us grew up in homes where um, saying I love you uh, was not common language spoken even amongst close family members. And many of the actions of the adults around me uh, made me kind of question what love was really all about. And on top of that, I was also an only child. So um, I was prone to uh, definite um, just self-centeredness. Um, and, and that afforded me the luxury of not having to really concern myself with the needs of others. I was kind of just this floated along in kind of my own little world um, as a kid and teenager growing up. Relationships for me were honestly just a means um, of getting affirmation. To put it simply, I used people to get what I felt like I desperately needed. And to this day, saying I love you um, is still kind of like this foreign phrase <laughs> rolling off the tongue. And in the midst of that backdrop, I encountered uh, the story of Jesus for the first time as a teenager. And I was told at Young Life Club and camps that God loved me and that he showed me that love by doing some things for me. He died for me. He forgave me. He rose from the dead so that I might have eternal life with him. And so I needed to show my appreciation by doing things for him. At least that's how I heard it. <laughs> Read your Bible, pray, go to church, serve others. And that all made a lot of sense to me because I'm a doer. So I was really excited to get to work and to show God how much I appreciated all the things that he'd done for me. God and I kind of had this, um, I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine kind of relationship. And while I was busy trying to do all the right Christian things, I was soon taking some of the big steps that many of us have taken of getting married and having kids which thrust me into the deep end of trying to love other people. And needless to say, I was incredibly clueless how to do that. I had all these people I cared deeply about looking to me for affirmation and intimacy, the very things that I was used to taking from other people, not really giving those things away. So throughout my 20s and 30s, I was kind of stumbling along, trying to love other people well, but honestly had no idea how to emotionally connect with anyone. Completely lost. <laughs> I was present physically, and I tried to do all the right husband, father, friend kind of stuff, but it was all really surface level. I had, a great, I had a great intentions, especially considering kind of the circumstances I'd come from in life, but I was severely lacking in emotionally healthy tools to use, okay? Then during my mid-30s, you could now add to my plate being a pastor for the first time. 
And within a couple of years, now we're, you know, looking at 100, 200 adults that are coming, needing to be shepherded, needing to be cared for, needing to be loved. To be honest, though, those first few years um, that we were here, I was really just focusing on just surviving as a church, just making it. Loving people well was not my chief priority. But the dissonance was growing in me. Learning to love and to be loved was something that I was not going to be able to put off much longer. I have a pretty distinct memory of the season in my life when I started to just kind of get some fresh insights from the Bible, some things that just kind of started jumping out at me. I had read them all before. I mean, I'd been a Christian for almost 20 years plus at this point, but you know how it is sometimes that sometimes there's some things that we might not be ready to hear and God patiently just kind of holds back. And then when the moment is right according to his timing and his plan, he starts revealing some things and what started to jump out at me were these words by Jesus and Paul and John and Peter urging the early church they were writing to and us here today to love one another. Not just a little bit, but I distinctly remember the word that they kept putting at the end of that command. Deeply. Love one another deeply. I'd been playing around most of my life in the kiddie pool of love. I don't know if they still have these, but back in the day, I, I went to this just like, you know, it was a, it was a low end country club, so don't get to thinking Pastor Bob grew up the silver spoon, right? But... We had this cheap country club in Liberty when I was growing up, okay? But they had the little, you know, the little splash pools off to the side like that are like one foot deep, and they had two of those, and then the big pool was a whole separate thing, right? And so I'd been playing around in the pool that wasn't even in the pool of love, <laughs> all right? And, you know, then you kind of start, as a kid, you start taking some steps, you know, you start going down the stairs, holding onto the railing, and then if you're really courageous, you might shimmy along the wall, holding on in the shallow end, right, all the time mom and dad are there. But then one day, something changes, and you're like, you start looking up at that high dive board, and you're like, man, what if I could do that someday? And I don't know if you remember the first time you took that long, lonely walk around the edge of the pool, all the way around to the back, the side of the pool you'd never really been to before. And I mean, for somebody like me that's kind of scared of heights in general, like climbing up that ladder, you want to talk about a death grip on that thing, you know, going up, and you're just like, all your friends are egging you on and calling you a sissy and stuff. And, <laughs> and you get up to the top, right? And then it's like, the board, you got to walk the plank, right? <laughs> You remember that, man, and you get out to the edge and your toes are just like death grip on the side, you know, and the whole pool's watching you, and you're just like, man, once I make this jump, like, I will never see myself as the same person, right? I'm going to be Superman when this thing's over, right? And you, you take the leap, and it just, you know, starts to melt away some of the, the fears, something maybe even you've feared your whole life. That was what it was like for me as I started reading these verses. I felt like I was having to, being asked to go up to the, to the high dive. <laughs> Here are just a few examples of verses calling us to love one another throughout Scripture. From John 13, a new command, this is Jesus, I give you, love one another as I have loved you, 
so you must love one another. And then Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightfully so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. First Peter, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. And then finally, 1 John, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. It was kind of like, that season was kind of like having your heart set on, you know, buying a particular car, like a red VW Beetle, you know. My grandma used to have one of those. She sold Avon, if you know what that is, all right. She had one of those, like a stick shift red Beetle, right. And when you set your heart on something sometimes, then, then you start to notice every other red Beetle that's around you. And you're like, oh, this is really not so special. There's a bunch of them, right. You can't unsee the red Beetles anymore. And this was what it was like for me once I started diving into this, this phrase. It kept popping up over and over again. I couldn't unsee the command to love one another deeply anymore. My eyes had been opened to that truth, that nudging, right? It was something that I was going to have to engage. Right? I've been good at doing all the Christian stuff. I mean, if you guys know me, I'm a, I'm a pretty disciplined, regimented person. I can do the read your Bible daily and pray and serve and whatever else, you know, task you put in front of me day after day, year after year. But Jesus didn't say, the world will know you are my disciples if you have a quiet time every day. He didn't say, you'll know if you're my disciples if you memorize a bunch of scripture or show up at church or anything else. He did say this in John 13, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Well, by that standard, I was like a D minus Christian at best, Okay. I could do all the, the stuff, but man, loving people, whew, I knew I was really in over my head there. And this shouldn't have come as a, as a surprise to me, this command to love. I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22, it's page 1409. <clears throat> Verse 36. This expert in the Old Testament law comes up to Jesus and asks this question. He says, teacher, which is the greatest command in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest command. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So for some context here, the Old Testament, um, you know, smarter people than me have counted all the commands in the Old Testament. It's 613. And then these religious leaders called the Pharisees, they, they started to add more and more laws, hundreds and hundreds of laws in addition to those 600 that just got down to the very minutia of daily life. I mean, it was, and, you know, Jesus even makes 
or actually it's, it's a Roman centurion that kind of makes fun of the Jews and the chosen, just like, man, you guys just in your rules. <laughs> you pile it on one another, right? And so this expert in the law thinks, oh, man, I'm going to ask Jesus this question. And how can he, you know, pick what's the best law out of thousands of laws that we've put into place? But Jesus basically wraps the sentiment of all of those laws up into two great commands. Love the Lord your God, which covers the first four of the Ten Commandments, and then love your neighbor as yourself, which covers the last six and encompasses all commands. And it puts an order to things, doesn't it? Jesus said, love the Lord your God. And he said, that's the first and greatest commandment. It's the first before we can try to love our neighbor. What can happen when we get those two out of order? When we try to love other people like ourselves without first making sure that we're loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind. What can happen when we get those out of order? It's been your experience. Oh, man, the peanut gallery, way in the back. What's that? It's not sustainable. Why? Yeah, we're doing it in our own strength, right? When we're, when we're loving people in our own strength, you know, uh, we're not as strong as God. That, that wears out. Yes. So we can feel burdened maybe. Yeah. Yeah, he said we can be disappointed because God won't fail us, but people will. All right, so we're trying to love somebody and they're not loving us back or loving us back in a way we think we should and we get discouraged by that, right? Other things you've seen to be true when you get those out of order. Nick? Uh, yeah, we can have an ulterior motive. We're not doing it selflessly, right? We're doing it because kind of like my relationship with God used to be, right? I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. Like there's this contractual relationship, right? what's in it for me, <laughs> or doing it with some expectation. One of the things I thought of was that there was no standard of truth that we are loving them to. Right, when we separate it from what God's standard is and how he loves, we do that apart from that. There's not that same standard that we're trying to love them to. I also talked about how, yeah, you guys mentioned this, it could just be based on feelings. Like, do I feel like loving this person that's kind of difficult? You know, when I'm doing it in my own strength, I might not feel like doing that very often. A lot of times, too, there's no sense of identity, a clear identity of who we are. So I'm going over here and trying to love somebody else, not really knowing what my true identity is. And when our identity's off, it's going to affect the way that we're able to love people and to do that well. And Jesus also put some qualifiers on that love for him. He says to do it with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Jesus wants all of us. It's unyielding, isn't it? Not something that he says you can just kind of squeeze into your week if your schedule allows it. But he desires that love for him would permeate every waking moment of every day. That's what all of you is. Anybody batting a thousand on that out there? Just, just Natasha, yeah, should have known. 
right? No, nobody is. Let me ask you this question. Why does Jesus tell us to do something he knows we can't do? Why does Jesus tell us to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind when he knows we can't do it? This is me asking you. Raise your hands. Let's have a conversation. Yeah. Something to, uh, something to go forward to? Okay, yeah. What else? Yeah. Makes us humble. Okay, good. It humbles us when we realize we can't do it. What else? When we realize that, what else should it do? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it forces us to depend on him. Right? If we know we can't live up to the standards that he has for us, then it forces us to come to him every single day and multiple times a day and say, God, I can't do it. I need you. I need your help. And so it it puts us in the right posture before him. He's God. We're not. And it reminds us that that's true. Right? The whole Old Testament, all those laws weren't put there for the Israelites to follow. They were put there to show them that they couldn't that they needed a savior. They couldn't even do it for a day. And that's why Jesus says, hey, you've heard it said, you know, do not murder. But he says, he, he takes it even deeper. He goes to the heart level. But I say, if you even call your brother a fool, you've murdered them in your heart. It's like, you wanna, you wanna keep yourself at this standard and pat yourself on the back. But I'm saying, it's deeper than that. It's a heart thing. It's a thought thing, not just actions. So the person, you know, and you hear this all the time, right? God never gives us anything more than we can handle. No, that's exactly what he did. The whole Bible is the story of him giving us what we can't handle. Like, who is the idiot that can't? I mean, I'm going to get in some other stuff that they say. <laughs> they say, that's just not, it's cultural Christianity and it's crap. It's not right. It's not true. It's not biblical. Whew. All right, <laughs> settle down. Guys, listen, the consistent message communicated in the scriptures is the truth of Jesus meeting us in our weakness, in our inability to be the people that he's asked us to be, but then bridging the gap for us by his sacrifice on the cross, making us holy and blameless in his sight. He released us from the prison of having to be perfect of having to perform in order to be loved, saved, healed, and redeemed. Our salvation was never about our effort, and it's never going to be as long as we follow him. That's good news. This journey into love starts there with this truth. As Jesus said it in John 15, 5, he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't love me with your whole heart, soul, and mind unless I help you. Or as Paul put it in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, he said it like this, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Hallelujah. Yeah. And guess what? Knowing that it's not about my ability to perform, to live in perfect accordance with God's commands, 
but that God made a way for me through the cross and the empty tomb to be loved just as I am in all of my frailty makes me want to love him with all of my heart, all of my soul, and all of my mind. Not because I have to, but because I'm so grateful that it's not based on my performance. And we have to understand that as the genesis, the starting point of pursuing and running after him. Man, I want to do that. I don't get it right every day. But that is the ruling desire of my heart. The ruling desire is to give all of me to him in response for all that he's done for me. And having that aim, that ruling desire in our hearts to love God with all of our beings requires something. It requires an earnest inventory of our life. It means coming before him each day, echoing the prayer of David from Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, that says this. David said, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's coming to him and say, God, reveal to me any hindrance to loving you with all of my soul, all of my heart, all of my mind. What's getting in the way of full surrender? What idols... <laughs> Am I putting my hope in to satisfy my deepest longings that only you can fully satisfy? Show me what those things are. Guys, there's, the, there's a practice that we've talked about around here a lot called the prayer of examine. It's something you can do at the end of your day. I've started doing it on my phone. There's an app. Uh, it's, it's Lectio, L-E-C-T-I-O, Lectio, 365. And it's just a, a, a prayer time where they kind of walk you through um, taking a look at your day. Where did you see God at work in your life? Maybe where you missed him? And then it gives you some time for, for confession. You know, where did you sin today? Where, where did you miss the mark? And that is so good, guys, to do a daily inventory of our life, to be honest about where we are and what our need is. And when I begin to understand this truth that I am loved and accepted, not based on my own merit, but on God's amazing grace for me, only then can I begin the journey towards loving other people from the heart. Right? There's an order to things. And guys, I really want you to hear this. Shallowness in the first and greatest command will always lead to shallowness in the second. Shallowness in the first and greatest command will always lead to shallowness in the second, our ability to love our neighbors as ourselves. I want you to turn your Bibles over to 1 John chapter 4. It's in the very back, almost by the book of Revelation, page 1740. First John 4, 
starting in verse 9. Verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Can you just read that again for yourself real quick? What do, you, what do you feel as you read those verses? Not what do you think about them, but what do you feel as you read those words? Zach. Hmm. Yeah. Experiencing his love is a lot more about receiving than doing anything. Good. What else did you feel? Think of it like this. I felt. Yeah. Feels what? Relieving. Okay. That what? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. You can put your guard down. There's a resting. Yeah. What else? Yeah. Humble. Okay. Yeah, why? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He said, you know, we just knowing that we haven't done anything to deserve it. Like, it's just overwhelming, right? And guys, you know, we all feel things at different times, right? Like sometimes you'll come across a passage one day and it'll just hit you or a verse we'll put up on the screen during a sermon or whatever. And sometimes it's just like, oh man, it just, for whatever reason, whatever's going on in your life, it just, it just hits you. For me, I think as I read this, it's just the initiating love of God. The initiating love, right? That, that passage says... He sent. (laughs) This is love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us and he sent his son. (laughs) Right? 
we screwed up. We chose our way over his. And before we even had the wherewithal to dial 911, he was already moving, already providing the means for rescue through his atoning sacrifice for us. And verse 11 brings it home. Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If we knew that we don't deserve it, then who are we to withhold it from somebody else thinking that they don't deserve it, right? And sometimes you read things and you're like, oh, it just sounds so easy when they write it like that, you know? But we all know how incredibly hard it is to love other people well, and it doesn't really even matter who it is. Whether it's people we claim to love the most, our family members, or people that we consider strangers or enemies, we can all be turds to everyone. Am I right? One thing I know is true. In those moments when I am the least loving towards others, it's because I've forgotten the ways that God loves me. In the moments that I'm the least loving towards others, it's because I've forgotten the ways that God loves me. I've taken my eyes off of that truth, that he loves me patiently, tenderly, compassionately, right? Again and again, <laughs> not based on what I deserve. Earlier in this message, I talked about a season when this theme of loving one another deeply really began to grab hold of my heart. And one verse in particular was so compelling to me, and it's the verse that's kind of the backdrop for this whole sermon series. It's 1 Peter 4.8. It says this, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Now, I'm going to do a whole sermon on just that verse in a few weeks, so I'm not going to give you too many nuggets uh, away right now. But let me just say this as we close today. God's love covered over a multitude of my sins. I'll never know how many sins. Over the course of my life, my conscious and unconscious sins will surely number into the millions. The millions, at least. It's like those old McDonald's that used to have, you know, how many people they'd served signs, you know, 250 million people served, but then it just got to where everybody had McDonald's and there's too many to count now, right? If you had a little counter above my head that said sins, you know, forgiven, Bob's sins forgiven, that thing would just be clicking off, running into the millions multiple times a day. You're like, good Lord, does that guy ever stop sinning, right? <laughs> Guys, big ways and small ways that my thoughts my words, my deeds, my, or flip it around, my lack of thoughts, words, and deeds. The times I should be thinking something, saying something, doing something, and I'm not, fall short of God's perfection. Millions. And I was buried underneath of that debt to God that I could never dig my way out of with good behavior, never. 
It's like when you're watching a little kid, you know, like trying to dig a hole and the dirt kind of keeps coming back in. They throw it over their head and it just goes right back in the hole and they're getting nowhere. That's what it's like when we try to do it on our own without him. Jesus paid it all. <laughs> all to him I owe. All. He covers me every day by his grace. And guys, here's the thing. As I've matured in this topic, I long to cover others as well. Right? I've, I've been the beneficiary of, of the covering, the mercy and the grace of God. And I long to be that for other people. I've got a lot to learn. We have a lot to learn. Much to confront on this journey towards loving one another deeply. But if you're thinking of it in concentric circles, it begins with loving God first and foremost. And then the next circle out is to love ourselves. We simply can't love other people well if we don't love ourselves first. And some of us love ourselves too little and others, like me, love ourselves too much. So that's where we're heading next week. But maybe this week, we can journey deeper into God's love for us and begin praying that prayer that David prayed, prayed that God would search us, that he would reveal any hindrance in us that gets in the way of us receiving his love. That's a good place to start. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. God, we will never know that the size of the debt that we owe you. And yet you, you, you sent your son to us. You initiated, as Romans 5, 8 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God, that ought to stir something in our hearts, man. <laughs> That ought to overwhelm us and fill us with gratitude to the point where the ruling desire in us becomes, gosh, I want to give you everything. God, I want, I want you to have all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, but I need your help. I can't do it without you. I can't rely on my own ability to pull that off. Relying on my own ability got me into the mess. Don't, don't help, help me not to go back to that same strategy. <laughs> It's a gift. The nearness of you is a gift to us, God. It's something that we have to receive. We have to just rest and sit in it as true. So God, reveal what are the hindrances to us believing that, to just simply stop doing and just be loved by you so that then we can begin the journey outward from there. But we got to get the center right first. So we ask for your help this week. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.